Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. From tales of pirates and privateers to murderers, tragic accidents to wartime escapades, this podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception, so get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. Today's story focuses on a man who was highly regarded at the time, John Gray, and it begins on the island of Unst in the Shetlands, where he was born on the 8th of December 1819, the son of Sarah and Robert Gray. Like many Shetlanders, John went to sea at a very young age, initially joining the Eagle Line. He progressed to commanding ships for Gibbs, Bright and Co, and he took both a demotion and a pay cut in order to serve as second officer on their SS Great Britain in 1852, just in time for the vessel's first voyage to Australia. And when it left, there was an amazing fanfare. The SS Great Britain was first launched in 1843 and was the world's largest ship and the first to be made with both a steel hull and a screw propeller, although it was later converted back to using a combination of sail and steam as she promised to make the trip to Australia quicker than any ship around. For this maiden voyage to Australia, 630 eager migrants piled aboard, with many headed for the goldfields of Victoria, a trip that normally took four months by sailing ship, and the SS Great Britain promised to do it in just 60 days. Word of the Week Now here's one you're going to find hard to slip into your average conversation because this week I give you spang you, which is to cause a frog or toad to fly into the air. The owners of the SS Great Britain may have said 60 days, but due to poor planning, that first trip didn't live up to the promise. After passing St. Helena Island in the South Atlantic Ocean, the captain discovered someone had underestimated the amount of coal needed for the trip, and they had to turn back for more, which extended the trip to 83 days. Nevertheless, John was promoted to first officer for the second Australian voyage, and then made captain in April 1854, prior to the third, following the resignation of his predecessor, Captain Matthews. John Gray held the longest tenure of any SS Great Britain captain, and in that role, completed 27 journeys from the United Kingdom to Australia and back. He was also a captain when she was used as a troop ship during the Crimean War and the Indian Rebellion. By travelling with Captain Gray, Victorians of all classes could be assured they were likely to arrive in Melbourne, alive. 
Many other British vessels were shipwrecked, often within view of the Australian shoreline, or gripped by disease. But not with Captain Grey. Eminent passengers of the SS Great Britain included author Anthony Trollope, who actually wrote one of his books, Lady Anna, on board, and the first all-England cricket team to Australia in 1861. Almost 15,000 people emigrated to Australia under Captain Grey's command. As well as commanding the respect of crew and passengers, he was charismatic and well-liked. There are many records from diaries and the captain's own log, which stand testament to his skills and shed light on his engaging personality. Mary Crompton writes in her diary, I was walking with the captain the other day, and I asked him if he was not proud of his ship. Dear little girl, he exclaimed, I love every plank of her. I pat her sometimes, and I've promised her a rest if she will only get home in less than 70 days. What a very nice man the captain is. He seems always to be looking out for something to make his passengers more comfortable. He generally chooses those ladies who are travelling alone to walk with. Among so many, of course, he cannot give much time to each one, but he always has a pleasant word or a smile for everyone. As with many over the years that have grown up around boats and the sea, John Gray remained a sailor to his bones, as observed by an anonymous diarist. It is interesting to mark how the captain's spirits get up as the breeze freshens, a 12-knot breeze and sun sails aloft and alow is his delight. Gray also had great technical ability, which he needed in order to handle the fast and furious sailing pace of the SS Great Britain and make the most powerful rig. Here, Edward Towle gives a glimpse of Gray in action. When I turned out at six this morning, I found the studding sails set and a good breeze blowing. On a sudden, everything was thrown into confusion by an unforeseen accident which might have been worse. The ship suddenly came almost to a standstill. The sails on the main mast were taken aback while those on the foremast were shivering. The voice of the second officer, a very fine fellow, was heard above the noise of the wind to take in all sail. In an instant, he seemed to possess the gift of ubiquity, and his energy seemed to rouse the crew to their utmost exertion. You have to admit, Tal's description of Grey makes him seem almost superhuman. Mr. Grey is a very fine fellow with the most athletic proportions, a voice that can be heard almost above the storm and the most untiring energy. Captain Grey's physique was mentioned by other diarists. Ulcher Fedden described him as a great man with a Stenorian voice, while Mary Crompton records that he tipped the scales at 16 stone 10 pounds. Add to this his height of nearly six feet and combine it with his deep voice and distinctive Shetland accent, and it's easy to imagine the imposing physical figure he must have cut. In addition to his impressive physique, Gray possessed unquestionable authority. An anonymous diarist records that. On Saturday night, the captain coming on deck discovered the second mate drunk on his watch and immediately ordered him down to his room, he was confined till today when he was restored again to his office. The captain is very severe in cases of the kind, and justly. So for the discipline cannot be too strict where the lives of so many are at stake.
Gray's time as second and then first mate clearly gave him advance notice of the kind of firm hand he would need to take with both passengers and crew if he were to maintain discipline on board. Robert Sandington described an episode in 1853 during Captain Matthews' regime where... Several of the men were intoxicated and one of the lower cabin passengers was found in the forecastle with brandy. He was hauled out and Mr Gray gave him a good pummeling and the captain threatened him with three feet of rope's end. Even those passengers who behaved themselves and never needed to be reprimanded were aware of the steel beneath the soft Shetland burr. For instance, Charles Albert Chomley noted in 1861 that... The captain is a kind patron of all kinds of fun and is a great favourite. He always has a pleasant word for everybody. But, he continues... The only fault I have to find with him is that he has such a strong hand with which he squeezes people's fingers like a pair of pincers that could be called a vice. One of his more eccentric activities, for which he was well known, was to climb each mast at least once a week. This, he said, was his exercise. He also interrupted one voyage to Australia to claim the uninhabited island of St Martin for the Empire. He held a banquet that evening to celebrate. As well as dishing out any discipline to wrongdoers that crossed his path, Gray also used his authority to improve the voyaging experience for law-abiding passengers. William Griffith enjoyed an example of this in 1860, writing, I had a short time's amusement following the captain to see him rooting up all the passengers on deck for the good of their health. Clara Aspinall's memoirs of her journey to Australia paints a charmingly affectionate portrait of Grey. It was genuinely cheering even to see his bright, genial countenance as he went from one to the other, perhaps challenging this passenger to a game at chess, the other to backgammon, or another to draughts. There were also, including widows, eight or ten unmarried ladies, some with their parents under the care of our captain. This good captain is generally looked upon as the patron saint of unprotected ladies and always has an immense consignment of them, particularly in going out. Indeed, the number of engaged young ladies whom he has taken out in Melbourne is something fabulous. And he has no sooner cast anchor in Hobson Bay than he has to deck himself in bridal array and hasten to the church to perform the fatherly office of giving away a bevy of his fair charges. Word on the street. And this week, we go Daventry Road. Daventry is a town in Northamptonshire, and its link to Bristol is that a certain John Beale was arrested in Daventry for the murder of Charlotte Pugsley in Lee Woods in 1857. He was hanged in January 1858. Afterwards, a crime reporter named Austin published a confession that Beale was alleged to have made. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued enough to think that that is a story for a future episode. So I'll be researching that as soon as. 
But now back to Captain John Gray, who, in the 1870s, started suffering from kidney disease, which led to depression. This wasn't helped by the fact that, a few years before, his son had died, and his cousin had been swept overboard to his death. 150 years ago this year, on the 25th of November, 1872, 30 days into another return journey from Melbourne to Liverpool, Gray complained of pain in his bowels and returned to his cabin. Near midnight, he was seen walking towards the ship's deck. The next morning, he couldn't be found, and one of the transom windows at the ship's stern was open, having been locked the night before. The letter he'd been seen writing that night couldn't be found either. It was all a mystery. The chief steward, John Campbell, wrote in his diary about the event that happened on the 25th of November with tangible distress. A great fear has come to us all this morning. We can't find the captain all over the ship. One of the storm ports in the lower saloon found down this morning and the bedroom steward screwed it up last thing before going to bed. That he should take his life is the last of our thoughts, though he was unwell. All who saw him last night had little thought of this. God help us all to keep near to thee. To all whom in appearance a prosperous life, suddenly gone, my mind can hardly realise that him who has been to me, with all his faults, a good master for over twelve years, is gone. Listless and heartless we all are, and those of us who have sailed so long with the late captain, Grey are aback. I found the most heart-wrenching part of the story was when the ship docked in Liverpool on Christmas Day after a 62-day journey to be met by Gray's wife and four daughters at the dockside. There had been no way to let them know the sad news in advance, so, as the person described, they were waiting, looking for him. They would never see him in this life. Gray's disappearance was front-page news at the time, and the mystery has never been solved. He was 52 when he disappeared. The Liverpool Albion wrote, The steamship Great Britain arrived in the Mersey from Melbourne shortly before noon on Wednesday. It being Christmas Day, the landing stages were crowded with passengers and as this fine old ship steamed slowly up the river, she attracted more attention. The Great Britain left Melbourne on the 23rd of October. During the night of the 26th last month, Captain Gray, the commander, was missed from his room and was never seen afterwards. He had been ailing for some days previously and it is supposed that he fell overboard in the darkness. Captain Gray resided Upper Parliament Street, Liverpool, but was a native of Shetland. He was about 52 years of age and leaves a widow and three daughters, the eldest of whom is about 20 years of age. He had had an intention for some time past of retiring altogether from the sea, and we understand he had fully made up his mind when leaving Liverpool on the last voyage not to enter upon another. He had made 23 voyages in the Great Britain, of which 
he was first officer when Captain Matthews, the previous commander of the vessel, obtained an appointment as Port Surveyor Melbourne. Captain Gray brought the vessel home from Melbourne on that occasion and has commanded her since that time. He was exceptionally fortunate in his charge of the vessel and the regularity of the passages he made was remarkable. His long connection with this well-known vessel and his great popularity as a commander will cause the announcement of his death to be received with regret by a large circle of persons both in England and in Australia. Mrs Gray, accompanied by her daughters, had gone down to the Prince's landing stage for the purpose of meeting her husband on his return, and the melancholy tidings of his loss were thus rendered additionally distressing. Some say that John loved the SS Great Britain so much that whatever happened that fateful night, his spirit never left. There have been reports of the sounds of his hobnail boots walking about his cabin, and in 1992, a 17-year-old work experience boy saw a man sitting on a beam in the bowels of the ship. He had a white-coloured shirt, was broad-shouldered, and had a greyish-white beard. It's believed to be Captain Grey. This just in, thieves have stolen 20 crates of red ball from the local supermarket in Bradley Stoke. Personally, I don't know how these people sleep at night. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply... quick reply, affects your concentration, and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. Back in the day facts. So let's start off with the 19th of March 1911, when the first International Women's Day was held and sees over one million men and women attend rallies in Austria, Denmark, Germany and Switzerland. Issues discussed included women's right to vote and to hold public office, the right to work, to vocational training and an end to discrimination in jobs. On the 20th of March 1930, American fast food restaurant chain, KFC, or Kentucky Fried Chicken, was founded by Colonel Harlan Sanders in North Corbin, Kentucky. On the 21st of March 1970, the 15th Eurovision Song Contest was held and was won by Dana for Ireland, singing All Kinds of Everything in Amsterdam. On the 22nd of March 1903, Niagara Falls runs out of water because of a drought. Also on the 22nd of March, but in 1941, James Stewart is inducted into the army, becoming the first major American movie star to wear a military uniform in World War II. On the 23rd of March, 1857, 
Elisha Otis installs his first elevator at 488 Broadway in New York City. Otis invented a safety device that prevents elevators from falling if the hoisting cable fails. He worked on this device while living in Yonkers, New York in 1852 and had a finished product in 1854. And lastly, on the 24th of March, 1853, anti-slavery newspaper The Provincial Freeman was first published in Windsor, Ontario, edited by Samuel Ringold Ward and Marianne Shad Carey, the first black woman publisher in North America. Well, I'm afraid that's the end of the show today. But don't worry, because I'll be back at the same time and the same place next week. And for this particular show, I'd like to thank Joe Wilson, Becky Vicker, Steve Roberts, Molly Jeffries, Carrie Ball and Sam Roberts from the St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Steve Shepherd and Kath Ayres from Bradley Stoke Radio. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>